I had my first uh, experience with being the victim of racism uh, the other day. That that seems unlikely. I know, right? But being <laughs> such a minority in China, uh, it's opening me up to new cultural experiences, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, being like kids, for instance, they would pull their eyes open like really wide with their fingers uh, and they're like uh, trying uh, to uh, affect my my accent be like blah, 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 and do that whole thing <laughs> pretend like a mental challenge uh in round eyes yeah really really and um we went to this restaurant we were getting some losafan which is the spicy uh brothy kind of noodle dish that's distinctive mm. in this area and it's really good but we ordered it and we used the, the correct Chinese like we've done this many times this is one of our favorite dishes yeah so we're ordering from this woman and she's just not getting it she's just not like sometimes sometimes Chinese people will just decide that because you're you're like not Asian there's no way you're gonna understand. They're just like, okay, yep. White people don't understand, black people don't understand, whatever. So, uh, yeah, she's decided not to understand and we're ordering and ordering and I'm checking this bill and it's wrong. I'm like, no, come on, man, this is the wrong stuff. I I keep telling her and I thought maybe she added meat or whatever, but uh, afterwards we go to sit down and this woman walks into the kitchen with this kind of open plan and loudly starts mocking us to the kitchen staff <laughs> and like repeating the shit that oh we God. said and like like intensely and like doing a whole thing and I could see her doing it like through a little surface window and I'm like what the hell and she comes walking out like laughing her ass off <laughs> and I'm like I'm like fuck you man that that was racist and uh, like I'm still sitting there processing it and the food comes out and it's the wrong food. So I lean over, and, uh... I lean over to the kitchen staff, now I'm incensed. So I'm like, do you know about Lawsophan? And she replies in Chinese, she's like, of course I know about Lawsophan. I'm the Lawsophan chef, come on. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I said, and then oh, I couldn't say that. So I translated this bit on my phone and I showed her this is not what I ordered. I tell her I wanted Lawsophan. So we go back to the counter and I start translating yeah. in Chinese to the chef lady that the woman at the counter screwed up my order and I want my food back. Uh, so racist counter lady did lose some face and I, I don't know how that worked out for me, but I, I don't know how <laughs> I feel about racist Chinese people. Because I know, I know um, there's like a, a strong racist, I don't know, community. Do they gather? Do racists gather? At, do they have meetings? I mean, some racists do, but sometimes it's just kind of cultural. Uh, well, I don't know, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of racism in China. Yeah, no, I think that's probably one of the the big social problems that they still have to really take care of yeah it's one of those things hey but um i think it's getting better uh i am in a pretty small city so it is kind of you know the bible belt of china if they add bibles (laughs) if they um that's that's pretty funny man i don't i don't mean to to demean your experience people should it is pretty funny highly demeanable like the Like, I just really desperately want to see Chinese people's impression of Western people. Um, it's um, it's remarkably less funny than you would imagine. Uh, it goes straight from funny well, to offensive, sad. and it's like, whoa, what? I th- I always <laughs> thought that I would be okay with that. You know, I'm like, I have that fortunate birth where I just I'm immune to the effects of racism. But no, racism is real. And I got a tiny, tiny, tiny taste of it. And I'm going to have to say it's it's, uh, it's not a good thing. It's not great. 
Right, you heard it here, folks. Racism, not great. Yeah. It's uh, buhao, <laughs> not good. <laughs> hey, at least you're learning the language. That's also cool. Yeah, because since I got here, you know, people have been mocking me in Chinese, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can tell they're mocking me, but, you know, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. So my goal has been to be able to to be able to tell people off in Chinese. That's been my goal <laughs> since day one. It's just like, a man... The best motivator. Someone, if that person's irritating me, I just need to tell them, just have this urge to be like, could you not do that? <laughs> How do you say could you not do that in Chinese? Ni bu or something. I don't know. Okay. One of our Chinese listeners will have to write in and tell me how I butchered their pronunciation just now. Because, I mean, Mandarin is incredibly difficult. It's um, tough, dude. This... Just in terms of, like, the tones and all of that stuff. Yeah, one sound can have five different meanings on, uh, depending on how much you mumble that day. Yeah. Like, I know the one that I know is, like, ma, ma. Ma. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all different. It's like horse, mother, uh, you know, like it's really. And also it's it's a swear word. It's like, um, um, I don't know what the equivalent is, but it's like a bad one. Like mother, horse, Ooh. or that thing. Your mom's a horse. Um, <laughs> okay. I guess that's it for the China check-in. Yeah. Our usual weekly podcast. Let us turn now. <laughs> I, I fumbled the transition. Let us turn now to our B-side podcast called Be Positive, the positive B-movie podcast. My name is Louis. And I'm Harry Potter. <laughs> Joined today by Harry Potter. Uh, Harry, I'm a big fan. Uh, I can't do any more Harry Big Potter. Fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the extent. I've been practicing all day to say, oh, I'm Harry Potter. And that was that was it. By the way, okay, well, that's I'm good. Fraser. Harry Potter does not exist. Yo. The whole book series. Dropping some hard truth bombs over here. The whole here. book series happened inside your head. Man, the, the power of imagination. An incredible thing. So, welcome back to Be Positive. Uh, right up top, I do have to apologize to the listeners. I'm a little bit sick, so I might sound bad, worse than usual. Yeah, I, th- I think it adds authenticity. That's what I think. Yeah, nothing like the sniffles and a wet mouth to really <laughs> set you at ease when you're listening to a podcast. Wait, let me give you, let me give you some wet mouth right now. Oh god! Mm. No. I'm keeping that in. That's staying in. You, I'm not yeah, even I listening know. to it. That's... I can see the audio of a wet mouth by now. Like I know what it looks like. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a little something something for the wet mouth fans. Yeah, that uh, ASMR listenership. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. So today we should do that as bonus. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should. Uh, <laughs> Today, we're doing Unlisted Owner by writer and director Jed Bryan, who, having written and directed a B-movie, is officially living the dream. <laughs> he, he not only wrote and directed it, he also stars in it as a character named Jed. Also Jed. Yeah, but like the surname's different? Yeah, the surname's... Uh, I actually found it quite interesting because a lot of the time in found footage stuff, they'll just keep the actors' names for the characters' names yeah. and um, either not have surnames or change the surnames. But in this case, they seem to have swapped the surnames around. So, for instance, the actor who plays Gavin, his surname is Groves, yeah. but the character called... Griffin. He's Griffin Groves. Oh, right. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but fair right. enough. It's yeah, weird. so it's uh, it's like a musical chairs with the surnames. 
I don't know, maybe it's like a wacky Wednesday thing. You know, they came into work on April Fool's Day. Someone made a joke. No one noticed the joke. And uh, that's just the way it is. Maybe in the credits, the surnames are swapped around. They're in the in the credits, they're swapped around. Oh, you mean? Yeah, which is the mistake? No, no mistake. No, this is going too deep. Now. <laughs> right. So, uh, unlisted owner is. Uh... It was made, I think, in 2012, 2013. All right. But only got released on Amazon last year if i'm not yeah, mistaken 2017 on amazon prime and they actually hit uh amazon's i think what 100 hot horror yeah, amazon's top 100 hot horror new hot horror release list uh and they made it all up that's a lot of huts. yes uh you know i've been working on my phonics with the kids and um my yeah. my h's are starting to turn into like really soft g's so that's interesting really yeah it's i don't know i'm broken inside but yeah, they made it all the way up to ninth place on this top one hundred new horror release list, which is pretty cool. It's that's really quite impressive. So they were up against like not huge movies, but big-ish films. Yeah, bigger budget at least. Yeah, and this is definitely this is minimal minimal budget picture, it's like a friends and family affair. Yeah, I feel like it was well edited though like it it, mm. it watches like a professional made it so I, i'm assuming a professional did make it uh it's not like an amateur production this is there is some skill in the film yeah i would say so too but yeah definitely not you know not a not a studio picture i also believe it is uh jed Bryan's directorial debut yeah it is it's his first time so good job jed Go Jedediah. So, uh... I'm just assuming Jed is short for Jedediah. Of course you are. Uh, Unlisted Owner (laughs) is quite an interesting film to me because it is a blend of the found footage genre and the slasher Mm -hmm. genre, where the slasher genre in many ways is uh, iconic to the 80s, and yes, found footage is iconic to the noughties. Yeah, I would the say zeros. So. Well, Blair Witch. Yeah, Blair Witch. I think was a little bit before that, but yeah, yeah Blair Witch Project kicks so. it off, but it it became very mainstream uh, movie option in the yeah. early two thousands uh, because even earlier films like uh, Cannibal Holocaust were found footage films. Yeah. And yeah. before that, found footage comes from also epistolic works like uh, diarized versions of novels. Uh, for instance, mm. Ram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Uh, or Goethe's uh, Sorrows of Young Worth. Werther. Exactly that one. It's very bad pronunciation. Uh, yeah. That book that we've all read. <laughs> that classic, classic novel that all the B-movie fans out there <laughs> love so much. Uh, uh, <laughs> found footage I guess a lot of critics would say it's become like a, a cheap cop out in a sense but it's great for exactly that reason that you can make a movie on the cheap on the fly um, and still make it good yeah basically all you need is a good narrative and there you go and in found footage, for the most part, you don't even need that good of a narrative because it's supposed to be very natural. So people in life yeah. don't follow a narrative. It's, it's kind of chaotic. This film, though, does have more of a narrative structure because you've got it's divided up into three parts. Yeah, let's uh, let's roll through this uh, this bad boy, the synopsis. Yeah. Hit us with that synopsis. Right. So it's the, divided into right in my face. three parts. Give me that synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shut up. Let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first part I, I titled Teenagers Are Scary. It's this maybe... Okay, I'll be honest. I don't have a good sense of the length of this film because the connection that I ha- was watching it on was 
kind of shitty. So I would watch it in small bursts and then have to buffer for a while. Or then my internet would explode. But I'm assuming five minute initial clip of this family and they've newly moved into this house and they're kind of feuding and not having a great time. Uh, and they're all going to sleep in sleeping bags. And then suddenly they're all dead. Next, we go on to segment number two, which I call bro time. And we meet pretty much our cast of characters that are going to carry us through most of the film. There's Jed. Yeah. Who is, uh, he's like obsessively filming this event. Yeah. He's just gotten a new camcorder and he's, uh, I guess, still, still very enamored with it. Yeah. I've always been suspicious of people who film like everyday, you know, mundane stuff. But I guess that's how we get uh, film, found footage films. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's something I'm going to bring up later. Yeah. yeah. So we also have Gavin and Tyler, who are the bros bros, oh, the brewskis, the Duderinos, yeah, the Choma, the Oaks, the Brasse, the, uh, the Bute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they are like, incredibly annoying <laughs> yeah they are intense um, and also the way i watched it it would generally stop right before one of them would say something so it would go to the this character's face freeze on that and then i would be staring at that for two minutes <laughs> and then he'll start talking again and it's so obnoxious they yeah so their main focus is getting lit getting chicks and seeing dead bodies that's like all they care about, man. The third part is a questionable part of their character. But again, that's that's the the beauty of found footage is you can have like a two-dimensional character with very kind of weird drives and stuff and just go like, hey, people are weird. Yeah, I mean... Um, and I've met people like these two it guys. It goes a long way to justifying it. No, sure, 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 sure. And the other characters do constantly uh, tell them to grow up. So it's it's not like the rest of the world are oblivious to how douchey they are. Yeah, yeah. Everyone sees them. So Jed, Gav, and Ty are getting ready to go camping with some friends. They have an invisible or an unseen punching bag called Griffin, who... uh, Gavin and Tyler are kind of bullying Jed at the moment. And he's like, hey, lay off me. Just because Griffin's not here doesn't mean that I'm your victim or whatever. But yeah. Jed, you're clearly their victim. Yeah. And also, Jed doesn't seem to have a problem with them being bullies. Just that they're bullying him and not Griffin. Yeah, it's not a moral issue. It's more of a, ugh, don't, don't do that to me. Because, uh, but we'll get into it. We'll get Let's, let's not get too sidetracked. Yeah. So they, they meet up with their other friends, Griffin. Oh, man, he's just a victim's victim. And yeah. Jed and Griffin's girlfriends, Andrea and Heidi. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we meet them? They're, I think they're in Jed's driveway uh, while they're packing their truck. And then Heidi and Griffin come along and they're like, hey, turn on, hey, turn on the radio. And they do, and they hear a news report about a family of five who, I'm guessing, are the people we saw in the beginning. Yeah, we can um, only assume. I think that's pretty clear. That they've been murdered in their home. Uh, and they they decide to go check it out. Yeah, so this is a small town, so there's probably not much happening. And I think they do state that as well, that this is a small town and there's not mm. much happening. So they go over to the local crime scene. And they're, they're sort of uh, staring into the crime scene. They see a body come out and they are pumped. Well, Gavin and Tyler are pumped. Yeah. The others are like, oh my God. They are psyched. It's crazy. Yeah, they are the ultimate cheerleaders. Their own ultimate cheerleaders. Mm. They see a body coming out. Eventually they leave. They go camping. They set up the tents. Obviously, not obviously. Gavin and Tyler are the only ones setting up the tents. Because I think mm-hmm. uh, everyone else was punishing them at that point of being just like, okay, guys, you're total assholes, at least set up the tent. Uh, Gavin and Tyler are also profusely drinking. Yeah. And Jed is just filming. And 
most of the characters are actually like, Jed, what the hell is wrong with you? Please, please put down the... Please, Jed, <laughs> yeah. put down the camera, Jed. Jed. please. Could you not, Jed? But yeah, so they're, they're drinking and they get fed up with the others not helping them put up the tents. Fair enough. Uh, and they go to buy some more beer. They come back eventually and they say that, you know, it's a fun nighttime activity, breaking into a crime scene. Oh, yeah. So they browbeat the others into joining them on this really st- stupid, really stupid thing to do. Not great. They head on over to the crime scene. First, they make a pit stop at the, well, at the yeah. killer's house. Uh, some dude called Tanner earlier on had told them. No, man, they go to the, um, they stop at the graveyard. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Tanner guy told them about a murder that had happened in that house 15 years earlier where a father locked himself and his family in the basement and set the house on fire. Um, so they go to visit that dude's house. Ugh, not his house, his grave. And... No one wants to get out of the car. I guess a grave is kind of a house. A grave is a house for a lazy boy. <laughs> That's a throwback. Yeah, throwback to uh, Deep Red. Profondo Rosso. So, <laughs> no one wants to get out of the car to visit the grave. And Jed eventually gets out of the car because Gavin and Tyler are not coming back unless someone joins them, which is... So no. juvenile. I know. I know. I really agree with the other characters that they should fucking grow yeah. up. Yeah. So Jed joins them. They jump out and scare him, obviously. And this will become yeah. a big problem later on. A little theme of the boy who cried wolf. Definitely. Or the wolf who frightened too many boys and then was eaten by a hippopotamus. <laughs> yeah, that's how That old chestnut. That's how it so, goes. They scare him, the camera cuts out just as they reach the grave, and next thing we know, we're, we're at the murder house. And they, they find a cop sitting outside, they decide we have to get rid of this cop, well they, Gavin, decides they have to get rid of the cop, he phones in a fake burglary a few streets down, uh, the cop heads out to check it out, and the group sort of starts arguing again about not going in, like not doing this. So Gavin runs, he just runs, goes inside, and this causes Tyler, who cannot bear to be separated from Gavin, causes him to drag the rest of the group into the murder house. Uh, And I feel it's at this point that they have entered kind of a minotaur's labyrinth. Yeah, um, the house at least in the way that we experience it, becomes really kind of disorientating. It's difficult to get a grasp of the layout of the house. So yeah, it definitely kind of transforms into this mysterious space. Yeah, and it's also almost like the house itself is malevolent because suddenly suddenly the door is bolted behind them. You know, all the windows are bolted, all the other doors are bolted. It's kind of like, this is a controlled environment. Someone, you know, someone is in control of the situation yeah. and it's not you. They go looking for Gavin. They don't find him, but they do hear a thud and some red liquid, thick red liquid starts dripping from the ceiling. So they assume it's blood, which, safe assumption, usually, in a murder sure. house that's... The whole place is already full of blood. Yeah, so, so maybe yeah. it's just, you know, it's just now leaking through through the roof for some reason they decide to go upstairs to check it out oh for some reason gavin and tyler are the reason yeah they say we've got to make sure they're okay that's a fucking ridiculous thing to say isn't it so So they head upstairs they discover that it's only a paint can that's been knocked over uh red paint which is kind of that was kind of like a and tyler does a super funny prank where he lies down under a sheet and pretends to be a corpse. Oh, yeah. And they pull back the sheet and he's like, Wah! and they're all like, oh, my God, you scared me. Ah. Yeah, real terror. <laughs> yeah. And then Gavin tops that off by pissing in the bathtub. Gavin. Oh, Gavin. It's. And then Tyler pushes him so that he pisses all over everything. Yeah. It's. And potentially over Tyler for filling that, you know. 
that fantasy. But uh, this is a strange decision from Gavin. And now I understand he's pretty drunk. They were doing shots off the hood just moments before. But yeah, he's actively spreading tons of his DNA evidence all over an active murder crime scene, like a homicide investigation. I don't think he has a lot of faith in the uh, Lawford County Sheriff's Department's uh, forensic skills. But they've got law in their name. <laughs> and Ford. <laughs> and They're built Lawford Tough. <laughs> Lawford Tough. Uh, so they, they kind of lock him in the bathroom, at which point <laughs> Gavin starts freaking out. And it's clear that he's been murdered. But they bash open the door, suddenly it's locked. They bash open the door, there's blood everywhere. And, you know, he's gone. Gavin's gone. And at that point, I was like, yes. Good. Thank you. Great. Thank you, unseen killer. Uh, The next person to die is Tyler as they're running away from the scene to go downstairs and check it out or something. Tyler gets... uh, And to me, this, this is where... There was like a little bit of a cut for the, the latency, but he gets sucked into the roof. He, he yeah. just disappears into the ceiling. He gets uh, vacuumed up. Yeah. Uh, he then, there's some thuds, some thumps, and like, you know, a sound cue from him indicating that he's dead. Jed refuses to believe that these two indomitable alpha males have succumbed. Yeah. And Griffin, at this point, already kind of set up as the coward in the group, is like, I'm going to break this window, I'm going to climb out, I'm leaving. But Jed is, (laughs) he says, no, you cannot break the window. Yeah. We'll be in too much trouble. Yeah, it's not like you're dying now. Now, is, is breaking a window a felony crime in Lawford County? Is that what's happening there? Uh, I believe... In Lawford County, they have capital punishment for that sort of thing. I think that's something we'll also get into, but I think a lot of this movie Ah. is about the Lawford County Sheriff's Department. The fictional Lawford County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, I'm assuming Lawford County is not a real place, but it might be. No, it absolutely is. Well, I think. Jed is convinced that Tyler and Gavin are just fucking around, which... Again, it's safe to assume because so far, that's all they've been doing is pranking ar- around. It's a social experiment, bruh. It's not, that's, that's never a good it's thing. It's not. If you're not at a university, that's a bad thing for, to hear from someone. <laughs> um, so they're gone. Jed refuses to let Griffin break the window. Um, he says, we'll find an unlocked window upstairs and climb out. That sounds more dangerous. Yeah, honestly. So they decide to do the sensible thing and split up. You cover more ground Yeah, that of way. course. Jed and Andrea go upstairs to look for a window. Andrea is firm that she does not believe Gavin and Tyler are fucking around. Jed is being obnoxious. Yeah. We need to leave. And Jed responds by first... Berating and, belitt- be- berating and belittling her intensely, mm-hmm. followed by a very aggressive kiss that kind of looked like assault. Yeah, I, I wonder if that was supposed to be like a heat of the moment, like we're both really scared, but we still love each other. Maybe that's how he intended it. But, he, like he was living out an yeah. uh, action hero fantasy. But as it turns out, Andrea was fucking right. And it's so Jed right. Jed turns away from her. He hears her kind of muffled scream, turns around, her flashlight's tumbling down the that stairs. That was pretty cool. Uh, that was a pretty cool effect, but she's gone. There's no killer, nothing. He's freaking out. Griffin and Heidi apparently have been waiting at the bottom of the stairs, quickly run up, and they're like, what's wrong? And he's like, kind of like Andrea's gone. He's freaking out. They're like, okay, just go downstairs alone and we'll look for her upstairs. And this again, I think Yeah. And he I think actually Griffin deep down, he was counting his bullies fall. <gasps> I just did a literal gasp. Yeah. Um so because I thought you were gonna say that Griffin's the smart one, but that's 
also wow. not true. Yeah, no. So Jed heads downstairs and he's kind of freaking out and he's like, I can't believe... He's almost saying, I can't believe she's done this. <laughs> like, he seems really upset that she's disappeared. He doesn't seem too concerned with her well-being. He kind of hears a sound from the basement and the basement door kind of opens a bit. So he goes down there, finds a literal maze that someone's constructed in the basement that the cops never thought to go into or check or search or break down or whatever. In this maze, he finds Andrea's corpse on a slab. And then we have this very interesting effect where we've been living this film through Jed's point of view, basically. And at that point, Jed is sort of collapsing. He's realized that Andrea was right, but obviously now it's too late to listen to her. And he collapses and we see the killer kind of walk up behind him. And in a sense, we all voyeuristically die in that sense in that moment that was quite interesting to me he it's almost you know he's holding the camera up to his face and when he sees her corpse he just he he kind of for the first time in the movie he stops filming and he drops his arm and when the camera's pointing behind him and upside down we see the killer's legs approach and and then he gets got yeah he gets got and again I'm happy that he died. I feel bad for Andrea. Uh, She's been nothing but sensible. We then switch over to Griffin, uh, who is still filming. Griffin had a camera this whole time as well. And they're sort of checking out the upstairs. And then what happens to Griffin and Heidi? Uh, Heidi gets... Does she get slashed? I think she gets snatched. She gets, yeah, she gets snatched. Griffin runs down, he opens the door, but I don't know, did the lock come off? Did he break it? Maybe he had, like, adrenaline strength. Maybe. Um, no, the, the basement door is open at this point, I think. No, 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 the, the front door. And then he sees his good, good buddy, Gavin, hanging uh, on the porch. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's been unlocked and Gavin's hanging on the porch. And again, I was like, Yay! Uh, but it's at this point that Griffin dies, and that's just sort of that's the way the cookie crumbles. They're all dead. Then yeah, we cut. Everybody then dead. Then we cut to um, congratulations on your wedding, the third and final part segment of this film, where we get a new copy, a new couple happily a new copy happily married, and just bought their first massive ass house in Lawford County. A house... It's a really big house for two people. That was probably very reduced in price yeah. following the, you know, massacres. The housing market crash. Yeah, that that how, that singular house house's market crash. Yeah, and that's, they move in and uh, the guy goes down to the basement where all the bad things happen. And wow. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> the guy jumps up. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is a scene where the killer kills one of the Lawford County deputies. And that's when we get to see the killer in detail. And I was surprised to see that the killer was Bagfaced Man from Fireside Tales. Oh, oh my God. Is this a crossover? Is this an extended universe? I think Bagfaced Man has become, ever since Jason Voorhees first donned the bag, the face bag. He's become kind of a slender man type yeah. figure in in the social unconscious. Like a, a boogeyman yeah. of sorts. We, yeah, he's kind of he's he's the rural face bag man. He's got on his work boots and his uh overalls, I think. Yeah. He's just a midwestern slasher with his sickle out in the fields of people. Just doing an honest day's work. <laughs> So, let's get into the meat of this situation. I think we should also just explain that the meta-narrative here is that this whole film has been compiled by the Lawford County Sheriff's Department for some reason. And that's actually what I want us to talk about for a bit. Why did the sheriffs make this feature film? So, I believe that the sheriffs made this film as a way to spread awareness. It's sort of like a uh, an ad campaign for Lawford County. 
It's like we okay. have an honest, true blue American slasher in our town. Come here. Come check it um, out. It's going to be great for houses tourism. Houses are super cheap. <laughs> I wonder if, you know, in the world of this narrative, the Lawford County Sheriff's Department, because I think it's clear that they don't solve the case, either of the cases yeah. or any cases, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going um, off their track record in the film. <laughs> and so I wonder if them making this film is almost a desperate attempt to narrativize these crimes and to kind of justify their own failure in solving, you know, all these brutal murders. That it could be, you know, it is sort of like a, a way to cope with the trauma. Uh, But it could also be that they just had a particularly crafty intern uh, with a lot of free time who was locked in the archives. And like he went to the one famous crime and he just chopped that shit together. And the sheriff was like, huh, that's pretty good. We should release it. That's pretty good. We should maybe look into solving those crimes. No, no, he would never say that. No, Uh, he would never say that. Because big twist. Bagface man is the sheriff. <gasps> you got you got me on two gusps today. Yeah, I don't know about that though. Like that's just me speculating wildly. Uh, there's no proof. No, sure. And also, I don't think so because Bagface man is the guy who f- murdered his family. If the urban legend is to believe, is to be believed. Oh, uh, right. He must be. Or it's uh, Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees during their off-season. Yeah, just doing their nationwide tour. Yeah, like when it's not Friday the 13th or Halloween night. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't just slash one night of the year. Yeah. You've got rent to pay. Yeah, of course. You've got pets to take care of. Yeah. And, you know, your sickle doesn't sharpen itself. <laughs> That's exactly what my dad used to say. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um... So I think a lot of the film is about the the sheriff's department, their incompetence. Some of the name boards are wrong, mm-hmm. like the one that refers to Chloe. Oh, it, it's, it says Chol. <laughs> it says Chol? Chol. C-H-O-L. That is my Chol. favorite misspelling of the name Chloe. <laughs> it's great. It's pretty great. And Tanner, the guy who told them about the murders, there's also an interview scene with him with the sheriff, in which the sheriffs learn nothing new. Yeah, I was wondering where that subplot was going about Tanner, because we we meet him at the crime scene the first time, where he kind of, yeah he serves as an expositional onslaught, where he just straight up tells you the urban legend, he's like, this is what's up, this is pretty much the plot too. Okay, plot twist, Tanner is the slasher. That's what the cops think, though, that in that segment, the cops are showing you uh, yeah, Tanner and that. going like, this, this motherfucker, look, he never looks up. He not once does he seem convincingly honest. Like, he's always, like, yeah. nervously glancing down, not making eye contact and shit. So I get that they want to arrest him, but they probably just found the local junkie, not the local slasher. Yeah. And all they managed to get out of him in the interrogation is what they already knew from the tape. Yeah, like there's nothing new. And that subplot goes nowhere. They don't bring it back later. Tanner doesn't feature again. They just ask him some questions. Tanner looks yeah. confused. And then, all right, interview's over. Yeah, um, so the sheriff's department may be a little too focused on their video production side and not enough on the homicide side. But maybe that's exactly why the sheriff's department made this film, because they are now trying a new career path. They're trying to do Yeah, trying to get some funding. Because they're like, ah, clearly we're bad cops. We should just, you know, change it up. <laughs> Keep the name. It's a nice, strong name, you know, Lawford County. But we, we should totally just, instead of sheriff's yeah. department, we should change that. Just shuffle a couple of letters to production. Yeah. No, I think I think that's exactly what's happening here. Okay, let's chat about our characters. And this is an old theme on the podcast. 
their attitudes towards women.、Mm, uncle chauvinism.、Uh, what a good friend to the B movie、uh, world he has been. Yeah. Man, oh man. The characters are really chauvinist. I find that the only character who ever listens to a woman at any point in this film was Griffin. No、yeah. one listens to Griffin. But it's very interesting how. Among the males, there is a very distinct hierarchy. You've got the main bromance, which is Gavin and Tyler, and they're sort of, if you、yeah. can imagine, two cuttlefish just latched onto each other's faces. That's Gavin and Tyler. And they form the core nucleus of this, this, you know, this pyramid of friendship. Directly underneath、yeah. them, it's Jed. Under Jed, it's the girls. Under the girls, it's Griffin. Griffin is like, yeah, that's Griffin is the okay punching bag, but Gavin and Tyler don't mind、uh, switching it up and you know attacking the woman. But you know, God forbid they they attack Jed. Oh no! Yeah, it seems a lot of the time that Jed is kind of split in his loyalties. Like he tries to bro it up with、yeah. Gavin and Tyler. He's like, oh yeah, man, I'm I'm gonna fuck. And、yeah. um, you can tell he's kind of uncomfortable about doing it, but he, you know, social pressure. He he does it nonetheless. Yeah, he becomes an acolyte of chauvinism. Basically, if if chauvinism was a philosophy that you choose to follow, and you can sort of God, please don't fucking spread that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. If you're listening to this, that that's like a dumb shit idea. But that's already happening. Have you heard? Have you heard about <laughs> the incels,、is. Louis? Have you heard about the chats and the stasis? Do you remember in my in my master's thesis? Yes, I remember. I wrote a whole thing about the men's rights movement. Yeah, and I remember thinking how ridiculous that was. And then, right? I was I was reading and I was like, man, that's never gonna be a thing. I'm sure this. Is never gonna devolve into a terrorist organization. I didn't think so either. I like, I like finished the essay saying like, these guys are probably not, like we shouldn't worry about them. But you know maybe investigate this. But turns out we should have worried yeah, about they, them. They、uh, have driver's licenses and are not afraid to kill people. But this is not that podcast. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> that would be generally kooky people, which is still coming. It might still happen. We are eagerly anticipating. For years, we've been anticipating, <laughs> but we'll see what happens there. It's interesting to me, though, how the structure in this comp—not、uh, company, but it is practically like a business <laughs> of chauvinism. Because、yeah. the main producers of the chauvinism are Gavin and Tyler. Jed is sort of regurgitating their、uh, views and opinions secondhand. And Griffin, Andrea, and Heidi are just taking it. They are pretty much the target in all of this. Yeah. Where Griffin is seen as someone who's weak, because he's not an a hole. But even、um, even Heidi and Andrea kind of exhibit some internalized sexism, where they talk about the girls that Tyler is inviting to the camp, and they're just like, "Man, those chicks are gonna be dogs." Yes.、Yeah. They're gonna be skanks and ugly. Even though Heidi and Andrea protest the way that Gavin and Tyler talk to them, they still fall in line with the status quo and pay the chauvinism forward. Yeah, it is interesting, but I mean, we do find that in communities where chauvinism is the the main prevailing,、uh, I don't know, ideology. I don't want to say ideology because it's not. It's、mm. it's not something that I want people to think they can follow and do well in and excel in because I feel、yeah. like just it's been done. Let's try try a different thing now. <laughs> Maybe just this once. Yeah, it's different from other movies we've done in the past where there's a lot of chauvinism in the characters. Where there is only one shot in this film where it's like a gratuitous shot. Of a part of a woman's body. It's the shot where、yeah. Griffin and Heidi are struggling with their little lamp lights, and Griffin's sort of trying, going to help her, and the camera just rests right on her breasts, and it's 
it's maybe like a second or two and then that's it that's the only the only invasive shot in the whole movie so it's not as yeah. uh, saturated with sovinism as other b films that we've seen yeah i mean to be clear i don't i don't really think the film is sexist you know in the same way that i think a movie like um old frankenstein and the space monster yes. i think that movie is sexist yes. Um, in this case, I don't think the movie is sexist. It's uh, just most of the characters. Yeah. So the other question um, that kind of gets brought up during the film is what are the ethics of filming? What can you film? What should you film? Yeah. Because Jed is that particular kind of character who has the particular pathology of a found footage film, which is someone who cannot stop filming literally everything yeah and i mean i know those people do actually exist in the world they're quite rare but they do exist and i wonder what it is that that causes that compulsion yeah like what is the trauma from your childhood if we go all freudian with it (laughs) like who touched you is it like an obsession around archiving experiences but even if they're like completely pointless yeah it could just be excitement with a new toy or a new possession like a camera yeah but it seems like the other characters they kind of say that he he does this all the time yeah so sounds like he's been doing it with his previous cameras what i think it might be is uh jed has this intense fear of losing rank in this this little microcosm of society his little you know circle of friends Mm. and you know when griffin's not around he does become the victim of gavin and tyler's bravado or whatever yeah the the machismo yeah so in a way that camera i mean it goes over your face and if he's filming all the time Mm. he's watching his life unfold like a film so it could be a barrier that he's putting up a coping mechanism because for all we know jed might be might feel stuck in this small town you know he can't move out you know he can't leave his life behind and for that same reason he's stuck with his same friends and they're abusive and somewhere yeah. deep down inside him he knows that's not cool it's oftentimes that uh, someone who's been abused for a long time will then become abusive later on because that's sort of what they know and it is it's just fulfilling the cycle of abuse again and creating a new cycle yeah. where you can see that in Jed Jed's behavior towards Andrea and Griffin where it's the second second hand sort of uncomfortable meanness that he displays but again it's also when he has the camera so he's got that safety blanket he feels protected he feels like oh now i can be like gavin and tyler i can have the confidence of these people yeah and he's uh, you know i'm just i'm just filming i'm not involved i'm just here to document yeah it's an excuse Um, to which could explain why even when yeah even when all his friends are being murdered around him he keeps on filming it becomes necessary for him to avoid that you know impact with the real that would send him spiraling into into madness. Yeah, it kind of turns reality into a kind of virtual reality game for him. It's less real. Yeah, he becomes a character in the film. Or not even a character in the film, more like the maker of the film. Or like literally the fourth wall. Like him putting up a wall, he's putting up the fourth wall. Yeah, actually. I think I just have a couple of things to mention. Do you have any other big conversation points that you want to want to touch on there's one thing that i want to all right there's one thing that i do want to talk about uh and it's the stereotypically privileged way that gavin and tyler go about living their lives because they are casually breaking the law and they're doing things that would get uh less privileged people into trouble like for instance, drinking and driving. Drunk driving. A lot of very drunk very, driving. Very, very drunk driving. Uh, breaking and entering. They're operating under this illusion that any trouble they get into will be minor trouble because 
They've never been in real trouble. They're committing like serious crimes, but because they feel like it's just, you know, good, honest fun. Just a prank, bro. And, you know, like I'm sure they've been excused with a couple of boys will be boys throughout their years. Yeah, that's like the last big thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, touch on some things that I thought were pretty cool. Firstly, we mentioned it already, the flashlight tumbling down the steps when Andrea disappears. Oh, yeah. It tumbled quite far. It's very impressive. Yeah, it did have a lot of momentum somehow. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the cop's death scene. He pulls up to the house and he, I think he spills his Dunkin' Donuts coffee on the seat or on the floor. And as he's trying to clean it up, the killer is approaching from the front. And we're seeing this through the police car dash cam. And he switches on his the interior light in his car. And, you know, his reflection suddenly appears in the windscreen. And the killer comes up and kind of drags the sickle across the window and jumps in and pulls him out. But I thought that was a really cool visual of the cop's reflection on the windscreen while also seeing the killer uh, still approaching. Yeah, it distinct impression I had with that scene was that it's this person who is very well equipped to deal with this threat that's approaching him but because he's stuck in this mundane event this everyday occurrence his guard is completely down so yeah he doesn't see the killer coming and it's a long shot like the killer's coming for a it's long, long time and he just never looks up and fair enough he just spilled coffee on himself most people would you want to get that cleaned up as soon as you can you know because it's gonna get all sticky the milk's gonna go curly it's gonna stain your pants weird and it's gonna look like really embarrassing it's gonna look like he and then all the macho guys back at the station are gonna mercilessly mock him yeah pull his pants down (laughs) who knows who knows Um, what they do and the other little (laughs) the other little device that i've thought was really really effective is the facial recognition on griffin's camera yeah i was what i was waiting for that we don't see a lot through griffin's camera but when we do there's a little uh you know digital face face recognition block popping up on people's faces and i was waiting for it to pay off to learn you know why did they include this and as he's going into the basement after andrea and jed are dead he goes down into the basement and the facial recognition thing just for like a second pops up in the dark, like in the shadows. And I thought that was like a brilliant way of just ratcheting up the tension. It was a pretty good payoff because sometimes your facial recognition does see faces in the dark, faces that you can't see. And that's scary as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I think that's what I've got to say about Unlisted Owner. Let's rate this film. If you had to rate this film out of three abandoned sleeping bags, how many abandoned sleeping bags would you give this film? Am I abandoning the sleeping bag? No, they're already abandoned. So I'm just finding them? Yes. I would find two abandoned sleeping bags, trip over the third... And impale myself on my own sickle because I was the bag man. Oh! <laughs> it was Fraser all along. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give this one two abandoned sleeping bags. And I'm not going to film it. I'm going to run away. Good. That is a sensible thing. Uh, the whole time I was saying, poor sensible Griffin. <laughs> He's... Oh, they should have just listened to Griffin. They should all have... Griffin should not be friends with him, is what what's up. Yeah. That's the main thing. There was a symbol on the wall. Yeah. And, and uh, they refer to it as definitely some kind of symbol. Yeah, and it was definitely some kind of symbol. To me, <laughs> it actually looks like a sigil, uh, like a very basic yeah. kind of sigil, which is something that you use in... Uh, some forms of ritual magic and chaos magic mm-hmm. practice uh, in like real world magic, the magic magic, where magic with a CK. Yeah, yeah, like uh, old Alistair Crowley used to say. And those things are quite interesting in the type of messages that they can convey 
are buried, but one of them can be to charge something known as a tulpa, which is a thought form entity. Yeah, I'm going fucking deep spooky with this one. You're going deep. <laughs> a tulpa is from, I think, Tibetan philosophy or something, but it's the belief that if you can focus and meditate enough on a certain concept, you can manifest that in reality and in an episode of supernatural an old episode of supernatural they're fighting a ghost which isn't a ghost because it's a tulpa and um, basically how they used the sigil and that was that they had a sigil on the wall and that symbol was part of an urban legend and because people believed in the urban legend they gave life to the spirit so sure, that's my sure. theory for this movie. Okay, I quite like that. There's also a George Luis Borges story about someone dreaming a being into existence. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting like mythological concept. Cool. Okay. Um I think that's and, it. And uh last thing Louis, we have to announce the next episode. Oh uh, yes. Next time. Uh um, Give it to me baby. Be positive. We're watching Repulsion. Great. Yeah, I have no idea what repulsion is. Who's, I who? think you put it on the list. Uh uh. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, but we'll see. Let's see. And also for the next episode, when we record this next episode, we will probably be together once more. Yes. Hugging and kissing in the same room. And talking. Specifically talking <laughs> in that room. Yes, also some talking, but mostly hugging and kissing. And playing some uh, Arkham Horror games. I really have been craving some good board game sessions. But as always, you can find us on Twitter at StayScary. We're Be Positive on on Twitter. Uh, You can follow me at Fraser. Can't even say my name. Uh, I'm at Fraser (laughs) Chonji on Twitter. And... I believe on Instagram as well. Um, yeah, please tweet at us if you have any uh, recommendations or requests. This film right here, this unlisted owner, was in fact a request. So let it not be said that we don't do requests. Yeah, we're very open we to requests. And if we actually would love a suggestion, and we can we can fit it into our release schedule quite easily, actually. Yeah, uh we're not really super bound by by the schedule. You can also reach us on Facebook. Uh, we're Be Positive on Facebook. At Stay Scary also works for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we are working on getting some merch. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about we that. We might get some T-shirts uh, and we might get some stickers as well. So that's yeah, excellent. exciting time. So we'll let you know about that. We'll see you next time for Repulsion right here on Be Positive. And as always, you stay scary. Uh, gosh dang it, that's a spooky truck. <laughs> he does say gosh dang it. Oh my gosh. He does, and I love it. It's that's great. so cute, man. Poor Griffin. Poor, sensible Griffin. Gosh dang it. Um, oh, I saw Hereditary. That new movie